It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. My guest today is Dr. Carla Fowler. She's an MD, PhD, and elite executive coach. For the last decade, she's been a secret worker of scores of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other senior leaders. Carla's unique approach combines the latest research from performance science with timeless best practices to help top performers level up and achieve their goals. She joins us via Zoom from Bend, Oregon. Carla, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast today. Fred, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Pleasure is definitely mine. So Carla, tell the audience a little bit about your work. I know we give that brief introduction there, but tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, who is Carla? Well, thank you for asking that question. Um, So uh, right now, and really for the past 10 years, um, I have been uh, building my executive coaching practice. And um, as you you pointed out, it's really um, based around performance science. And I think performance has been something and and an interest in it has been something that has defined um, most of my life. I I did not uh, grow up knowing that I would become a coach and be doing this, but um, it is really like the common thread that connects um, all the different sort of choices and and things that I was interested in. Um, and And a big piece of that was just I really liked um, challenging myself and I liked being in high performing environments. So one of the things I think I uh, kind of growing up, it was like, if you could get yourself into the arena, if you could just get yourself close to really high performing people so that you could learn from them, um, whether that was like who you picked as your PhD mentor or what sports team you managed to just sort of uh, get yourself on the team, you know, so that you could then play against, learn from people who are much better from you. I think um, that was sort of a common theme throughout my um, growing up and like my 20s. And um, so really, um, even though uh, going from having an MD and a PhD and thinking that I would be headed into academic science and medicine, um, and then making a really big pivot uh, at about like maybe the age of 33, um, the common theme in it is that I was really excited about how you do challenging things and how do other people do challenging things. Um, and so I think that's a big piece of what defines me. Was there any personal influence or personal story or life experience that um, launched you on this path um, besides the academics, of course? Yeah, you know, um, that is a great, well, here's what I would say. Um, This idea of wanting to help people was part of what brought me into medicine in the first place. So um, I was definitely like a math and science girl. Like, it just made sense to me. And I think I loved the idea that like, things were solvable, right, that you could run an experiment or that you could uh, solve an equation. And Um, But the reason I ended up in medicine in the first place, instead of engineering, which is where I initially headed, um, was because I'm fascinated by people. And those were the kinds of problems I wanted to solve, um, something that had a pretty direct impact. And so 
that was, um, I think one life experience was just really doing one year of engineering. Um, and then I think I, w- I worked at a summer camp actually. And I was the first aid person because I really wanted to work at the summer camp. And I, I was like, what job can I get? Cause I wasn't, um, super experienced and, um, the first aid position was the one available. And I was like, great, I'll take it. <laughs> and, um, it was within like three days that I was like, oh, this, like, I like this, this kind of problem solving. I really did enjoy working with patients. And I think um, one of the things that was really challenging for me was watching a system that had really high performing people in it. Like, I mean, it's a challenging residency to get into. And so these are really smart, bright, like hardworking people. And um, to kind of see the challenges that existed, despite having all that talent in one place. Um, And I think for me, uh, one of the things I realized is that that was really frustrating to me. And I know it's not limited to hospitals. I think it's true in companies. It is true in organizations. And I think that was a piece that said uh, to me that it was like, how do you help the people who are helping the people? <laughs> so in whether it's doctors in the healthcare system, whether it's leaders in companies or organizations, this thought of like working harder, working longer hours, like trying to do it all isn't, isn't working for us. And I'm not sure it's producing the highest performance. Um, and, and we see these challenges in medicine, but we see them other places as well. So I think that was a, a long answer to your question, but I think that was another nudge to say, I think, I think I need to be thinking about this differently. And I think I need to start helping the people who are helping the people. Hello, that's a very good point you bring up because oftentimes we see people who are in such um, sensitive positions, whether they're health professionals, doctors, clergy, or whoever, right? CEOs, as Superman and women, right? And and we think they have all the answers there. They're powerful and, and, and all the right reasons. But what we often fail to think about is the fact that they're human, right? And they need the help. They need the coaching. They're as, as vulnerable as, as, as we are. So I think taking that approach of, of helping people who help people, I think is a very noble cause. You, you also uh, believe that high performers are just like us, except for the few surprising things they do. Uh, differently. Can you can you respond to that? Perhaps maybe you respond to that initial question and talk about some of these things that high performers do uh, every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the most important things is to understand that um, whatever whatever ideas we have, and, and part of the reason we might have the idea of like, oh, um, these people in some of these positions, right, whether you're CEO, like mm-hmm. that they're superhuman, um, is because we often really only hear about, we hear about the successes, right? Like when, when things go public or when they start to be newsworthy, it's when everything's going great. Um, and we get kind of, we skim off the top of like the full story of the person, of the company, you know, of what's been accomplished. And, um, and so I think we create these ideas about how that thing happened, how did they do it, what they must have been doing, thinking and feeling um, that can kind of be blown out of proportion. And um, so um, one of the things I like to start with, like some things that 
the ways in which they are just like us. Um, for example, um, they have failure. They, they set out with certain aims and they do not reach all their aims. <laughs> um, I think the second thing is they get overwhelmed. They have that feeling, same as, as all of us do. Um, that feeling of like, oh, there's not enough time or um, just there's too much to do or Ooh, have I you know bitten off more than I can chew? Um, wow, like if this doesn't turn out, everyone is going to see it <laughs> not turn out. Um, uh, they also get lucky and they get unlucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as the rest of us do. And um, another thing is uh, they do not get instant results. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Fred, where you're like, man, I just, I want this thing and I want it to be easy or I want it to like, I just want it to happen. (laughs) And um, they want that too. And guess what? It doesn't happen for them either. (laughs) Instant gratification, right? We want it when we want it. Exactly. Yes. And we want it now. We want it yesterday. (laughs) Um, So... uh, these are just a few things. There are any number of things in which we are all more similar um, <laughs> than different. Um, but I think perhaps the interesting part of the question is this thing of, okay, well then, but why do their, why do their results look different? Yeah, what and, do they do differently from us? Yeah, what are they doing differently? And this is something I think about a lot because to me, this is where there is like coaching to be done. Um, I'm not in the business of creating perfect people or superhuman people, but I am very interested in helping people um, do things that are challenging, that are big, um, help them go faster if they need to go faster, and to do so in a world that is uncertain, where the um, context or the conditions are like never ideal, right? Like, so I like to help them build um, sort of the tools and the mindsets that really help them do that. And um, part of figuring out what was helpful was really observing kind of throughout my history, like, okay, well, what are the things that do really help people that they do differently? Um, So um, one of the things that I have noticed is that um, they, uh, they take a good amount of agency. And what I mean by that is, um, they often can see their choices clearly. Um, one of the things that happens um, in life is if we're not kind of deliberate, uh, we make a lot of choices by default. Um, things, it feels like stuff just happens, but like the truth is often there's a choice behind it. We just don't see that choice. And if we can't see the choice, um, and then the second piece is uh, if we can't see the choice, we can't own the choice. And I think that is another thing that high-performing people do differently is uh, they both see their choice and then they take responsibility for their choice. Um, and so because they can see and own their choice, they have the ability to then improve their choices. And so I think part of what we see when we see that um, people are getting different results, maybe better results than maybe what we've hoped for ourselves is that um there, there is a process of iteration. I call it looping where it's like, they can deliberately see, okay, I'm making a choice here. Um, you know, some result happens, maybe they get unlucky or lucky, but anyways, they sort of own like, okay, well, that's what happened. That was my choice. That's what happened. And was it just unluck? And I need to keep trying that because it's going to work. 
I just got unlucky or, you know, thinking about, no, actually I can see why that wasn't a good choice and I'm going to improve it. So seeing, owning, and improving their choices, I think is one thing that um, I see very clearly that helps both helps people and um, also um, often high-performing people are doing a little differently. Um, I think a second piece, and this is related, and it's related to that, we all want instant results. But um, I think that high-performing people understand the power of compounding, of consistency at something that matters, even if it's small, over time. And I will say that takes a lot of faith, um, both faith in having identified something that does matter and um, being willing to consistently do it over time, even though it's going to take a while for that to manifest. Um, But it's less that um, somehow high-performing people are just really, really good and get great results really fast. I think they actually just have more, uh, a little bit more... um, trust in what they're doing, consistency, and they keep going. I love that. I mean, I seeing that choices or making those clear choices, it, it sounds like there's some level of intentionality, right? It's not, it's not haphazard. It's not automatic. There's got to be some, some thought, right? Into, into, mm-hmm. uh, into that. And then take, taking ownership. I love that last piece there, because it kind of fits into the theme of this podcast, which is that, consistency because there is often this thought that well you know i tried it once and it didn't work out so i might as well give up right well maybe i try this a little bit and it's not yielding the results that i want so so let's give up but you we're saying here from getting you correctly is that there there is some consistency that that has to be put into this it's a process it's a journey things just don't happen overnight how then do we how then do we um make the argument or the, how far, how far is too far, right? At what point do we say, okay, this is not working. Maybe let's reevaluate. Maybe let's look at some other options versus, okay, let's, let's put our all into this and let's, let's keep it going. Yes. Okay. I, I love this. And um, because you ask a good question, right? Like you don't want someone banging their head against a wall when they're doing the wrong thing and you don't, you don't want them to just keep going. Um, I'm actually, I'm reminded of, um, Annie Duke has a great book called Thinking in Bets, which has a great chapter on kind of learning what what do we learn from our choices or the bets we make. So I'll just put that out there for people who are really interested in this topic. But um, for me, um, one of the one of the principles that I work with people on is this idea of relishing uncertainty, Um, and um, it's kind of one of my three big principles. But Part of relishing uncertainty is understanding that, um, you know, we don't, sometimes we have a goal, but we don't always know what is the best way to get there. And so there are three things that um, are methods that I talk to people about to help them relish uncertainty, but make progress going forwards, like to not have to remain in uncertainty. So, um, the first, uh, the first piece is really um, to cultivate a mindset of abundance, and um, I bring that up just because it's important to understand that there's more than one good way to get somewhere, um, and not every way is going to be good. But um, it's sort of to get away from this idea that often stalls people out from even starting, which is this idea of what if I pick the wrong thing and then I do it for a long time and I get no results. Mm-hmm. Like, 
wouldn't that be disappointing? And it would be disappointing. Um, and yet, um, I think that that the truth is um, there are ways we can avoid that happening. But the most important thing is you've got to start. The biggest thing that holds people back from getting where they want to go is they never start. They want certainty before they go. And often, like, you got to go before you know, (laughs) is what I say. Like, you have to get started. And it's okay if you start with the wrong thing. Because being in action is like uh, having momentum, I think, is priceless. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as you pointed out, you got to steer that momentum. You can't just blindly, you can't just be like, (laughs) you know, driving without looking. So um, the next piece um, of relishing uncertainty, just so get started, except that like, there's a lot of good ways to get someplace and get started. Okay. Second piece is um, I think it's good to separate out what you can know and what you can't know. And the reason that's important is if you can know something, then by all means, go do your homework. (laughs) So for example, If you were like, I, uh, I want to be healthier or I want to be fitter, um, there's a lot you can learn on the internet about what could be helpful and a number of great initial ideas um, that, that could work, right? Um, but there are some things like that you can't know. And, and so what you don't want to do is get stuck in, I got to learn everything before I can get moving. Um, because there's some stuff that you just can't know without actually trying something. And so I think it's important to say, what could I know? Okay, I'm going to go do my homework on that. But then what's the pile of stuff that's just going to prevent me from getting started? Because I just, I can't know it. Okay. So that's, that's step two is figure out what you can know, go learn that, um, and separate that from what you're not going to know without trying something. That brings us to the third piece of relishing uncertainty, which is learn to run good experiments. So there's three parts to running a good experiment. And this is really where you kind of get into what your question was, which is like, okay, Carla, yes, you want to be consistent. You want to be making that change and working towards it. But how do you know if you're doing the right thing? So I view this as an experiment. And the parts of a good experiment are... Um, number one, uh, run experiments for stuff that's worth knowing. <laughs> There's some stuff that, you know, maybe just doesn't matter that much. And so probably not worth the energy. Don't get too distracted. But for something that really matters to you, um, then you want to say, okay, I want to set up something I'm going to try. And I want to make sure that the risk reward ratio or the upside to downside ratio is in my favor. And what that means is basically, uh, you you know, you wouldn't want to have a really big downside. Um, like, I don't know if you decided your first athletic fitness event was going to be an ultra marathon. Like, if you haven't been running, that has a lot of risk associated with it for you. Not a lot of reward. Versus, I'm going to go uh, walk two miles today. Um, so make sure those ratios are like in your favor. So even if the th- the experiment doesn't turn out how you want it to, you're not going to be um, too negatively impacted. Um, so that's that piece about upside and downside. And then the third piece that's really important about running a good experiment is 
make sure you set it up so you will know uh, you will learn something. And so that's setting something up where you have some metric or some way to judge, like, how is this going? And also, when should I measure that? So, for example, uh, if you wanted to become more fit uh, and maybe you want to run a six-minute mile, like the time to assess how your fitness program is going is not after the first week, (laughs) most likely. Um, Like that would be too soon. Um, So I think that's... um, that's one of the ways that I tackle this dilemma of thinking about, uh, okay, you want to iterate, you want to use compounding, but how are you going to know um, if it's working? Part of it is actually saying, all right, if this were an experiment, when, when might I want to check in? How much time do I think it, it would take? Um, sometimes that's how much financial runway do I have to say, use on this business experiment, using a different analogy now. Um, but uh, so that's that's part of how I think about it, because um, you have to try some stuff and be consistent about it. But also, you got to know when to stop. And so setting that out from the start can often be helpful. Carl, that's a great point here. And I, I, I wonder how much influence society has right on some of these decisions, because whether it's social media, whether it's even with our kids in the school system, I mean, it, with the society thrives on that instant gratification, right? I want it and I want yeah. it now, so there is no sweat equity. You look on social media and everyone seems to be doing so well. And so there is this intense pressure to want to do so well. And it brings yeah. on a, a lot of stress, I might add, right? So, so mm-hmm. how do we kind of filter through the noise or the distraction, right? And, and realize that not, not, not all that glitters right it is gold there's some behind the scenes where that a lot of people are putting in but we don't see that all we're seeing is an end result all we're seeing is the mm-hmm. guy and his you know nice mercedes or, or whatever but it yeah it, it takes time right to get to to get to that place mm-hmm. and so i feel like there's a lot of pressure on on on, on us right to kind of want to compete and, and be there and without yes thinking of putting in that work and, you know, owning that and improving that and, and, and being consistent, like you, you rightly said, how do we, how do we manage that? That is such a great question. And I, I, you know, in my growing up was, was old enough that I sort of just missed like growing up with the social media phenomenon. And so I, um, it is actually hard to imagine, you know, what that is like for kids for example, these days. Um, But one thing that's true for all of us, whether or not we're big on social media, is that as human beings, we are constantly looking around and comparing ourselves to other people. Um, Again, that's another piece of that evolutionary bio that we're really programmed to be socially attuned. Um, And that, that socialness is important to us. But what I will say is that if we aren't intentional about um, kind of explicitly defining what we want for ourselves, um, it most likely will be decided for us by default because we will pattern on other people. And um, for example, I think there's some data that says we pattern strongly, we mimic strongly on or anchor on like the five people we spend the most time with just for example. Um, And I don't have a quick hack for this, for how we deal with this, except to say that um, I, um, what I've seen be successful for people 
is when we can get really explicit about what is important to them. Um, I call this brutal focus. This is another principle that I really use and work with people on is really getting to what they really want. Um, and then kind of beginning to separate that out from what's some of the stuff they're doing that like, you know, they, um, either cause it feels like what they're supposed to be doing or because, um, I don't know, they see people around them doing it. Um, but getting really clear on what's most important to them, defining it explicitly, and even kind of getting out on the table, like, well, what are some things or some pressures you're feeling? Like what, what are some of the have tos? Like, for example, um, I see this with entrepreneurs. There is such a, a strong entrepreneurial community, but it also is vocal. And so sometimes you have this sense of like, oh man, like I got to be doing um, like X, Y, and Z to be successful as an entrepreneur. But that may or may not be important for their business, right? Um, so what I would say is it's a challenge. But I, um, what I've found is that while it's initially difficult to do something different from what other people are doing, um, that defining what's really going to give you impact towards what you want, even if it's different from what other people are doing, um, is a very powerful step. Um, and for myself personally, because I feel this too, uh, I'm not immune. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter if I'm a coach. Um, I feel it too. And, um, for me, one of the things I've really thought about is investing in myself. So, um, this idea of, I love the idea of, um, building my own capability. And I've been thinking about this, like when I was in medicine, when I was in science, now as a coach um, and, and as a professional, um, even as an athlete still, but this idea of saying, how do I keep putting like uh, investing myself and my own capability? Um, and so even when there's not an external manifestation yet of something I'm working on, I know that I am storing up basically the equity of capability within myself and it's going to manifest um, but I may not be able to pick the timing of it. <laughs> um, I may not know exactly what that's going to look like, but, um, but I know that I can, I will use it for something. I will turn it into something. Um, and that, you know, even if it's not, um, public or out there or producing results at this moment, that even if the line of results looks flat, that actually what's happening during that time is I'm looping, I'm learning, I'm growing. And at some point, enough of that will build up that something's going to change. Um, so that's personally how I think about it. I love that. What would you say about um, vulnerability? And I asked this question, Carl, because it goes back to the point we made earlier about your, your, your mission, if, if I can put it that way, of, of helping people who help people. And, uh, you know, we, whether you think of, whether it's, uh, you know, the police, cause I, I did some work with, um, with the local police, um, department here, um, in the, in the Richmond, Virginia area. And, and one thing mm -hmm. that that session addressed was the, the focus on, um, that again, that, that macho thing, right. That perception that yeah. heroes and, you know, they, 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 they have it all together 
And there were a few officers who came up to share some of their deep vulnerabilities about how they, they struggle, but then they're not able to to come up and share because of the perception that um, you know, they're weak, right? And so there is this false yeah. persona that these leaders or these executives or whoever we're, we're talking about here have to put on, right, just to fit in that. How, how has your work um, in coaching executives, have you seen this a play and, and to what extent do you feel this is either beneficial or, or not? That's a great question. Um, it, when you say beneficial, do you mean the sharing of the vulnerability? Like, is that beneficial? No, not, not the sharing oh. part, but just oh. pretending that all is well, right? That everything is okay, but then yeah. meet that veneer, there's there's hurt, there's there's pain, there's this, there's just human, right? But yeah, they can't just, you know, come out and share this because of how they'll be labeled, for instance. Yeah. You know, it it is a challenge because I think on one side, um, whether it's like leaders of teams and businesses or, um, you know, other or, or people in other positions, um, I do think that one of the challenges of one of the biggest challenges of um, not being vulnerable is that it can create disconnects between leaders and teams. Um, so I definitely encountered this in surgery which is um, uh, just within that community. And um, that uh, if everyone is pretending to not struggle, particularly if the leader is not showing that there is any struggle, um, then it can really alienate anyone who is a part of their team who does feel like they are struggling. Um, and so I think, I think that's one of the big challenges of that. In terms of whether or not it's beneficial to be vulnerable as a leader, <clears throat> I think uh, the challenge is in the details. So I'll give an example. I think we toss out the word vulnerability and um, it can have a lot of different meanings to different people. And so sometimes people interpret that as, I'm just gonna like <laughs> put it all out there. Um, and like, sometimes that's actually not helpful. Sometimes that doesn't build trust with a leader. And so I think the challenge for leaders is, and I definitely talk with people about this, is um, to be able to acknowledge experience, um, to be able to acknowledge experience, particularly if a team is going through, is likely going through the same experience that you are, to make sure that people understand that they are not alone in that. And I think that can be particularly true in places like, um, I'm just from hearing your story, like a police force or, or um, in, in medicine even, right? Um, so where there's kind of constant stress and challenge on the group and the system. Um, and so I, I think that is true. The, um, on, the, on the other side, it's to, it's to really say that um, what vulnerability, uh, like what sharing of myself is going to be helpful here. Um, and, um, and also to help other people know how to relate to you as a leader. Um, and also to help them know that there is space for them to contribute. So this is where vulnerability um, can be a very uh, a positive 
not just um, to avoid a negative of other people feeling alienated, but it can actually say, oh, um, my leader is seeking our advice. Our leader doesn't just always have the answer. Um, they want to know what we think, right? So um, some, some of the literature on vulnerability talks about how can you actually help your team step up and really get the benefits of all their talents because you've actually expressed that like, you would like their help. Um, and you don't already have a preconceived idea of exactly how everything is going to go. Yeah. Well, it could be so, as easy as uh, creating a, a, an environment of psychological safety where people can, can share their minds, right. Without, without fear. That's fear, so right? true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, we, we could go on and on and on, but I want to spend last just talking about your, the work that you do, your organization um, and, you know, what you do to help other people and, and where our audience yeah. can find some information about, about your work. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, and um, I, I always am looking for my next great client. So if people are interested in that, um, they can connect with me through my website um, or there's contact information there as well. And that is um, faxa.com. That's T-H-A-X-A. Dot com. Um, but another great place um, where I'm posting um, some various things is on LinkedIn. Um, and that's just Carla-Fowler. Um, and so great place to follow me. Um, I post when I'm on a podcast, I post that there, um, as well as um, any other things that I'm coming out with. So those are two great places to find me. And um, yeah, I, I continue to be excited about high performance. So I'm, I'm sure there will be, be good things ahead there. Thank you. And we'll make sure these are captured in the, in the show notes as well. This has been really helpful for me, Carla, personally. I mean, we, the th a few things that top performers do or high performers do differently, you know, they see their choices clearly, right? They are they're intentional about them. Uh, they own their choices, right? They don't abdicate responsibility, whether it's good or bad, they own, they're responsible and, uh, and, and they improve, right? They see ways that can improve. And then there is also that last piece, which I personally love, which is that uh, compounding and, uh, and, and staying consistent uh, to the whole process. It doesn't happen overnight. Success doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's, yeah. It's beyond what we see. It's beyond the facade. Everyone has a story. I mean, they may choose to share or not to share, but I think we kid ourselves when we assume that, oh, you know, things happen overnight. Yes, they may, but how about the foundation, right? I, I believe I liken this to building a house. The stronger the foundation, the stronger the house. So we got to put in the work. We got to stay consistent. We got to own. We got to uh, be intentional about it. And, um, and I love this. So Carly, any final words uh, for our audience? I like to always have my guests share those final thoughts, perhaps speak directly to someone who may be dealing with, you know, some issues mm -hmm. there or, or whatever. I'll let you speak fully from your heart. <laughs> you oh man. Um, you know, I always, I always think of something kind of different. It often just depends on the day, but I think today, the thing I was thinking about was this idea of, um, Sometimes we can get caught up in trying to like kind of perfect our world as it is now, right? Like we love things to be complete. That's how our brains are built. This is another evolutionary bio thing. We love it when things are complete. You know, the bow is tied on top. And um, one of the things that I am continually encouraging myself to do and, um, and my clients is this idea of going, um, going fast enough or thinking big enough to the point where you have to have some mess 
And actually the mess never totally gets cleaned up. And it's okay because you actually, you learn what you need to learn, you do and complete as much as is necessary, and then you move on and that tide is carrying you and it carries you to a bigger place and you discover things about yourself that you didn't know you could do because, um, because you're saying, well, I could stay here and spend years cleaning this up and getting it perfect, or I could like learn what I need to learn and move on and um, and and move to that next thing. And so that's something just today, what I was thinking about was the power of saying, can I go a little faster or can I think a little bigger? Not because we need to drive ourselves like um, too hard, but because of the benefits of saying, I'm gonna leave perfectionism in the dust. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking about. I love that you've been listening to my guest. Dr. Carla Fowler, founder and managing director at Plaxa, talk about what high performers do differently. I trust that you've gotten something valuable out of this. I have, um, and uh, I, I trust that you can too. If there's anything that, that sticks out to me or any final postal words I'll add, stick to it, right? Stick to it, be consistent, um, and, and, and give yourself straight. But no, no, no one to dial down, right? But success doesn't happen overnight it takes consistency it takes effort it takes intentionality it takes owning our choices and it takes that uh, continuous personal um, improvement Paula thanks so much for coming on the podcast and inspiring us with those um, uh, wise words and invaluable life persons uh, and to you our audience you are why we do this I want to thank you for your time as well and for tuning in until next time stay well